Tonight is October 4th, 2017. I think it's Brenton Vincent's birthday tonight. I think it's Chris Sora's birthday today. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Amen. Amen. It's also officially now that the sun is down, it is the beginning of Sukkot. What a great time. October 4th, 2017, or if you're on the Hebrew calendar, it's Tishri, the 15th of Tishri, 5778. The title of tonight's message is For the World. For the World. Let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 16, please. Deuteronomy chapter 16. Here's my goal tonight. Uh, My goal tonight is to encourage you to get us ready to go to Baton Rouge because I believe that just about everybody in our church is going. There are a few that are unable to make it, and we are still trying to work with them to be able to go so that this weekend we will all be together. Uh, Pastor Eric sends you greetings from Louisiana where he's obviously working on things, and I think today when he and I spoke on the phone, I think they had a couple hundred chairs that they were uh, putting down for us and moving around and a lot of extra work that they're doing. On Monday evening at Foundations, we began speaking of Sukkot and its origins, its meanings, and the blessings that come from it. We finished the evening speaking about our joy being complete as we faithfully serve the Lord. Amen. Our goal tonight is really just to, uh, to go through some ideas of Sukkot, but we want to see how they relate to us. Amen? Amen? One of the main things about Sukkot is that our joy should be complete. So what we're not going to do is sit down here tonight and just, uh, just kind of look at me the whole time, as funny as that may be to you. What we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to stir up our spirits tonight. We're going to get done with an exhilarating, throne-approaching kind of time at the, around the altar in worship so that we can have our hearts ready to go. I'll give you the whole point of the message right now. Let's be filled with the Holy Spirit so that we can go and, and enjoy the very presence of God where we are. Amen. It's kind of neat that we're, the beginning of Sukkot is right now. So what are we going to do? We're going to go inhabit a tent for the next few days. That's pretty fantastic. In that tent, we're going to be talking about how this relates to the world. That's pretty fantastic. But if we don't come with a sense of joy in our hearts, if we don't come, if we don't enter into His courts with thanksgiving and enter His gates with praise, then we've missed out. If we're going, I'm telling you right now, if you're going with an idea that you're going to receive, well, you're right, (laughs) because you are. But the idea is that we want to go with something ready already in our hearts. We want to go with something already in our hands. We didn't find out until till yesterday or today or whenever it was that uh, LCM is going to kick it off tomorrow night. Man, I am excited about this. What we are excited about is bringing our entire church to the culture, the way of life that God has brought us here, and we just want to do it there. And we want to be the best version of what that is there. Because we're trying to show off? No. Because this is the beginning of Sukkot, and God has a plan for this that far outweighs any of us, that is bigger than what we can conceive. Are you in Deuteronomy 16 yet? Let's take a look at a few things here. Deuteronomy chapter 16, and let's start in verse 13. Say there when you're there. It says this, celebrate. Everybody say celebrate. Celebrate. Isn't that a great word? I'm going to try not to sing any songs out loud to you to talk about celebrating. (laughs) But it's going, sorry. Celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days after you have gathered the produce of your threshing floor and your wine press. After you've done some work, after you've had some productivity, after you've, got, you've collected the harvest, be joyful at your feast. This is the word of the Lord to us. Be joyful at your feast. So if you need to tell your face to be joyful, then you're going to do that exactly. If you have to convince yourself that whatever's going on is not worth it to not be joyful in these next few days together. 
We get to be together. I realize that not everybody's going to be there 100% of the time. I get that. And we're going to be together. We're going to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacle. Verse 14, we're going to be joyful at our feast. You. Everybody say, this is for me. You, your sons and daughters, say, this is for my family. Oh, come on now. Y'all got to help me out. This is for me. Say it. This is for my family. Look what else it says. Your men servants and your maid servant. Say, this is for my household. And the Levites. This is for the pastors. And the aliens. Say, this is for everybody. Whoever you are, even if you're an alien. Take that however you want to take that. The fatherless and the widows, those who are left out, those who are marginalized. You know what our God cares about on a time like this? That even they get to have joy. That even they get to celebrate this feast. For seven days celebrate the feast to the Lord your God at the place the Lord will choose. For the Lord your God will bless you in all your harvest and in all the work of your hands. And what does it say? Your joy will be complete. We read seven times in the Bible. Seven. Exactly seven. The words joy and complete are combined in the same verse. That your joy will be complete. This feast, this festival is for us. And it's for us to bring it to the world that not one person will be left out. Let's turn to Leviticus chapter 23. Leviticus chapter 23. We're going to start in verse 33. For those of you who weren't there with us on Monday night, there is so much involved in the idea of Sukkot and the festival and the Feast of Tabernacles that we get to enjoy And the truth is, when we look at it, this passage right here gives us a big, big picture about what is supposed to go on. Other things we learn are from the Mishnah. Everybody say Mishnah. Mishnah. We learn it from the Talmud. Everybody say Talmud. Talmud. We learn it from a lot of different places that are in Jewish history. But right here is the biggest portion of Scripture that gives us a great, clear picture. In Leviticus chapter 23, verse 33, it says this, The Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites on the 15th day of the seventh month, The Lord's Feast of Tabernacles begins. Whose is it? It's the Lord's Feast. Yes, it's the Feast of Tabernacles. Yes, it was for the people of Israel. But do you understand what we're doing, why we're bringing this up in a regular fashion here in our church? It's because this is the Lord's Feast. Wow, what does that look like? I don't know. Let's read. It begins and it lasts for seven days. Verse 35, the first day is a sacred assembly. Do no regular work. Does that mean there won't be something to do? Nope. It says do no regular work. The first day is uh, verse 36. For seven days present offerings made to the Lord by fire. Everybody say by fire. fire. And on the eighth day hold a sacred assembly and present an offering made to the Lord by fire. It is the closing assembly. Do no regular work. What a great idea. There's going to be a seven day feast. A seven-day festival. And then on the eighth day, you get to have a closing assembly. So is it seven or eight? Yeah, we're going to complete it in seven, and we're going to still have a time of new beginning, even that we associate with this. What happens on that eighth day is they begin to pray for rain in Jerusalem, even if they are not in Jerusalem. What a great thought. What a great thought here. Keep in, and we're going to keep going. Verse 37. These are the Lord's appointed feasts which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies. As holy, holy practice times, as holy assemblies for bringing offerings made to the Lord by fire. The burnt offerings and the grain offerings, sacrifice and drink offerings required for each day. We're going to read about that in just a second. These offerings are in addition to the Lord's Sabbath. Everybody say, in addition. In addition. 
You know what this trip for us to Baton Rouge is? It's in addition to what you normally do. It's in addition to your normal giving to the church. It's in addition to our normal services. It's in addition to what your responsibilities are. It's in addition. You know what that does? That makes it very, very special for us because we've got to do what we're normally supposed to do and do something in addition. How many of you know that the Lord's worth it, whatever addition we have to add to Him? Amen? It is worth it for you to take off work for a couple of days. It is worth it for you to spend finances to get there and while you're there. It is worth it in addition to what we're already required to do. And in addition to your gifts and whatever you have vowed and all the free will offerings you give to the Lord. Verse 39. So beginning with the 15th day of the seventh month, after you have gathered the crops of the land, celebrate the festival to the Lord for seven days. The first day is a day of rest, and the eighth day is also a day of rest. On the first day you are to take choice fruit from the trees. Did you guys enjoy those, those words that we studied the other night? The palm fronds, leafy branches, and poplars, and rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days each year. There's something about that repetition that the Lord is trying to instill in us. We're going to have a one association conference every year. There's going to be this repeated theme of us doing this because it's important for us to do. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. Celebrate it in the seventh month. Live in booths for seven days. All native-born Israelites are to live in booths. Thus the name, tabernacles or Sukkot. So your descendants will know that I had the Israelites live in booths when I brought them out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So Moses announced to the Israelites the appointed feast. It's amazing. Not only are these feasts to the Lord, but they are feasts of the Lord. They are the Lord's feast that He has presented. He's intentionally trying to, trying to teach us something. We learn that the repetitions associated with God's commands help us weave, help us braid ourselves into His very will just the other night. Let's read a verse that we read the other night out of Isaiah chapter 44. Everybody turn with me to Isaiah. Isaiah 44, and let's start in verse 1. It says this, But now listen, O Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I have chosen. This is what the Lord says, He who made you, who formed you in the womb, and who will help you. Wow. That's not even our point yet, but wow. The one who made us, the one who formed us in the womb, is the one that will help us. Do you think he's going to have the right way to help you? You think he's going to have the right directions for your life? Do you think the situations that you're in maybe or for your good if you're serving Him. Do not be afraid, O Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen, for I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my Spirit on your offspring. Wow, that, doesn't that sound familiar? Come on, New Testament Pentecostal kind of believer. For I will pour water on thirsty land, streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my Spirit on your offspring. Sounds a lot like Joel. Sounds a lot like Acts. It sounds a lot like a lot of other things. On your offspring and my blessing on your descendants, they will spring up like grass in a meadow, like poplar trees by flowing streams. One will say, I belong to the Lord, and another will call himself by the name of Jacob. Still another will write on his hand, the Lord's. (laughs) Your kids ever write notes on their hand? Do you ever write notes to yourself on your hand? Yeah, why do you do that? Because you don't want to forget it and you don't want to lose the piece of paper that you write it on. Right? Your notes to yourself are only as good on, as where you put them. 
I made a note, but I don't know where my note is. Well, then that note is not worth anything, right? Still another will write on his hand, the Lord's. Wow. Sometimes we need to remind ourselves like that, don't we? Hey, what? Oh, yeah, I'm the Lord's. And take the name Israel. Let's turn to Jeremiah chapter 17. I want to go through this at a fairly quick pace tonight. Where I'm in front of a bunch of home folks. We're, we're family. I look out at you and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of snickering a little bit as I'm, as I'm uh, turning between scriptures because I know what's coming next. And so I'm just, I have just a few seconds to look up. I'm just overwhelmed with joy. I just look at you guys and I'm like, man, Lord, this is the finest church I've ever seen. This is the finest church I've ever seen. I can't wait. I can't wait to do this with you guys. I can't wait to have this service. I can't wait to see what you're going to do this weekend, Lord. I can't wait to see what this weekend is going to propel us towards in our lives, Lord. I can't wait for you to reveal yourself to us in a special way, Lord, for these people that are here. When I see Jeremiah 17 and starting in verse 7, say there when you're there. there. It says this, but blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. Are you trusting in the Lord tonight? Come on. Are you really trusting? Are you trusting Him in every area of your life? If you're not, then let's make that this kind of a night where we go, Lord, <laughs> we got to celebrate the Feast of, of, of Trumpets. We got to celebrate Rosh Hashanah 15 days ago. Lord, where, where your name is proclaimed, where we get to have a new start. I love new starts. I've shared that with you before. I loved being a school teacher for as long as I was because I got to have a new, I had the opportunity to have a new start each and every year. New group of kids, even if it was the same group of kids, they were in a different grade, just felt new. Got to hit that new start button. The Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year. Ten days later, what did we have? We had Yom Kippur. We had the day that the sins can be atoned for. We also had that middle ground that we talked about, didn't we? In the middle, trying to see where we were, trying to move through those things. And now we're getting to celebrate that the Lord is being, and in our midst, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. Hasn't He given us plenty to trust in? Are you ever embarrassed when you get worried and, and fearful about things? We should be, right? Like, how many times has the Lord come through for you? Oh, I don't know, this week, this month, this year. No matter how difficult the year has been, how many times has He come through for us? He gives us no reason to doubt Him. He gives us every reason to trust Him. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord. You know why? Because it's pretty obvious that He's trustworthy. Whose confidence is in Him. Come on, we're going to get a boost of confidence tonight. Because it's not about us. It's not about you. It's not about how you feel. Your confidence is where? In Him. Man, what a great thought. He will be like a tree. Who He? The blessed man whose trust is in the Lord and his confidence is in the Lord. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. These were four parts that are now called the lulav and the etrog in a Sukkot celebration. They'll take the fruit and the branches and they'll shake them east, north, south, east, and west, up and down. 
saying, Lord, you are the God of all the earth, the heavens, and what you have made here. Lord, we can trust in you. We're going to remind ourselves. They would do that ceremony every single day of Sukkot. They would remind themselves of these kind of passages. It's hard, for, it's hard for us not to have joy in these kind of moments, isn't it? When you really think about how good God is to you, it's hard for us not to have joy. So why don't we have more joy? Oh, because we are prone to being very myopic. We think about ourselves and our situation and what we don't have instead of having, being blessed by putting our trust and our hope in Him. <laughs> when we understand the inevitability of our own victory. Everybody look at me for a second. Everyone who puts their hope in the Lord, you will get to escape the shame. No one who puts their hope in Him will ever be put to shame. If the Lord says you're going to be blessed for trusting in Him, that you will have your confidence in Him, you'll be like a tree that's planted by the water. He's telling you all these things. Why? Because He's trying to get you to understand the inevitability of your victory. The inevitability of your victory. In other words, it's going to happen uh, as long as we just don't get in the way of it. Wow, what an incredible thought. We can put our confidence in Him. Let's turn to first, uh, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's look at verse 18. It says this. Sorry, I'm still hearing pages turn. I'll wait just a second. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. It says this, But as surely as God is faithful. What? As surely as God is faithful. Our message to you is not yes and no. There's no ambiguity. There's no uncertainty in what the Lord is doing. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by me and Silas and Timothy... Oh, there's three of them there. Interesting. Was not yes and no, but in Him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through Him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. The amen is what? He says yes. What do we say? Amen. Amen. We say, so be it, Lord. If you've said it, then we can put our trust in that. We can put our confidence in you, Lord, because you have said it. You don't say yes and no. You say yes, and we respond with amen. Yes. Amen. Yes. Amen. You understand what we're doing here? He says yes, and we respond with an amen. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. It should make you want to stand a little, sit a little bit taller. Should make you want to stand a little bit taller when you think about these things. That he will make you stand firm. Yeah, well, I don't feel it. Well, too bad. Get over your feelings. Because he will make you stand firm. Amen? Amen? In Christ, he anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Everybody say guarantee. Guarantee. Wow. He guarantees it. How how do we know that He's guaranteed it? Because He gives you His Spirit. That is a guarantee. When you can feel God's Spirit moving, when you know that He has deposited His Spirit into you, you know what you should be reminded? This is a guarantee. God is giving us sure footing. He's making us stand firm. (laughs) These blessings were never intended for us to keep to ourselves. How dare we focus our prayers, our hopes, our dreams only on us forward no more. 
He's guaranteed His very victory in us. And the deposit of that is His Spirit. After we've heard the ear-splitting sound of the new year, after we've moved from the middle ground, the category three space, and found His salvation, we now turn our attention to the world. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 12. In Sunday sermon, it was called After the Storm. How many of you were here for After the Storm? Anybody going back and listen to it since then? Yeah. Isaiah chapter 12. Let's start in verse 1. Pastor Eric had an emphasis on Isaiah 12, beginning in verse 1. It says this, In that day, everybody say that day. Come on now. You will say, I will praise you, O Lord, although you were angry with me. Your anger has turned away. Man, don't you like it when someone's anger is turned away from you? When they're about to give full vent to their anger and that anger is turned away. Man. And you have comforted me. It didn't just turn away. It's not just a lack of anger. It's an addition of comfort that he brings. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. We're going to have a good time of being joyful tonight. This should be light. This is not a reprimanding kind of service. My friends, if the Bible says for us to trust and not be afraid, let's make sure that we don't have fear that's just creeping in. Well, it doesn't creep in, does it? It kicks a door down and takes over your living room. It chains itself to your bedpost. I mean, this is... This is the kind of fear. Most of us don't have the little fear that sneaks in. The problem is, is we've given its own space in our house. We let it hang out because it's so comfortable and familiar to us. Surely God is my salvation. God is either your salvation or He is not. And if He is, then we can trust and not be afraid. Because what are you doing when you're afraid? You're doubting the strength of His ability to save you. The Lord, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Man, what a glorious thing. The Jews would use this passage even in their um, festival of Sukkot. I'll talk about that more later. Hey, let's keep reading. Let's finish out Isaiah 12. Pastor Eric stopped on verse 3. Let's just see what the rest of it has to say. In that day you will say, Give thanks to the Lord. Call on His name. Make known among the nations what He has done. And proclaim that His name is exalted. You know what the Word of God says? It says that we, we should share. If we do not go out and witness and share, you know why we go out and witness and share of His love? So that we will understand what He has truly done. The Word of God tells us this. Right here we're talking about the joy of salvation, Him being our strength and our shield, not to be afraid, a strength in our song. Immediately in that day, after this takes place, what are we supposed to immediately do? Give thanks to the Lord, call on His name, and then make it known to the nations. Once you've found your salvation, you are immediately supposed to turn your heart to the nations. Make it known what He's done to the nations and proclaim that His name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for He has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel among you. 
The whole idea of the gospel, the whole idea of Sukkot is we found the salvation. Our sins have been atoned for. You know what we need to do now? We need to be so joyous that it turns our hearts towards the nations. That we are overjoyed with what the Lord has been doing in us. Let's turn to Numbers chapter 29. This is for the nations. Numbers 29, let's look in verse 12. Um, I am fully aware that everyone in this church, everyone under the sound of my voice right now, should already know what I'm telling you. I'm giving that to you. I'm saying that that, this about Sukkot should not be new information. What I am trying to ask you and get you to the point of tonight is, are you so joyous? Is it pushing you towards the nations? Is it pushing you towards evangelism? Is it pushing you towards your brothers and sisters around the world? Is it pushing you towards others so that you can help and enable them to see God's goodness? For them to accomplish God's will in their life. That you can bring this salvation to the nations. Numbers 29. You know this well in verse 12. It says this, On the 15th day of the 7th month, hold a sacred assembly. Do no regular work. We're hearing this, this theme over and over again. Celebrate a festival to the Lord for seven days. Present an offering made by fire as an aroma, pleasing to the Lord. And then it gets more specific than the other passages have gotten for us. A burnt offering of 13 young bulls. Everybody say 13. 13. Two rams, 14 male lambs, a year old, all without defect. (laughs) Deflect, sorry. With each of the 13 bulls, prepare a grain offering of three-tenths of an ephah of flying flour mixed with oil. With each of the two rams, two-tenths. And with each of the 14 lambs, one-tenth. You might have to write all that out, right? You've got 13 lambs. We've got, we've got two rams. We've got 14 lambs. Include one as a sin offering in addition to the regular burnt offering with its grain offering and drink offering. On the first day of Sukkot, you present 13 bulls. 13 bulls to the Lord. You know what you do on day two? 12. Then 11, then 10, then 9, then 8. Then on the seventh day, you have seven bulls that are presented to the Lord. To show us that this was intended for the world, the total number of bulls is 70. He's intending for this to be taken throughout the world. In Genesis 10, we find the table of the nations. We find that Japheth had 14 sons, that Ham had 30 sons, and that Shem had 26 sons. We have a total of 70 sons, 70 nations of the world. Let's all turn to Genesis 46, 27. This is for the world. Why am I saying this to you? Is it because I think that you forgot? No. I don't think you forgot the information that this is for the world. But when was the last time you thought about the world in your everyday life? About you reaching the world? About you doing something about God's kingdom to bring it to the world? Or do we focus on our daily life? Do we focus on the excitement of needing to pack for a trip? And we've allowed our heart to drift from being joyful, bringing joy to the world, bringing His salvation to the ends of the earth, even including Baton Rouge, Louisiana. 
It's not that we don't know the information. The problem is, is us living out any information that we find in the Word of God. The problem isn't us going through these scriptures and you'd be like, wow, that's such great revelation. Yeah, we've heard this enough. This is great revelation, by the way. Whether you're familiar with it or not, it's fantastic revelation. Have we let the revelation that came from the heavens to this church become normal? If you know what my next scripture is, have you, are you allowing that to make this a normal thing for you? Are you trying to revel in the joy that this is supposed to bring? I've created this for the nations. Look, look how I did this. I'm the Lord and I strung this through the entirety of the Bible. Check this out. This is incredible. I did it just to show off. There's going to be plenty of people who don't get this and they're still going to understand other parts. But for those who just want it, who care about it, I'm going to show it to them in a different way. I'm going to show, them, show it to them in an additional way. Are you taking for granted that the Lord shows this church additional things? The problem with a question like that is, is I already know the answer. And the answer is yes. Hey, we have a God who is teaching us something tonight. Genesis 46, 27. Are you there? Let's do 26 and 27. It says this, All those who went to Egypt with Jacob, those who were his direct descendants, not counting his son's wives, numbered 66 persons. Thank you, persons. With the two sons who had been born to Joseph in Egypt, plus Joseph, plus Jacob, there were 70 people in all. We now understand this principle in Exodus 15, 27. Tara, can you just put that up on the screen for us? Exodus 15, 27. It says this. We even read this the other night on a Monday evening at Foundations. It says, Then they came to Elim, where there were 12 springs. Everybody say 12 springs. 12 springs. And 70 palms. Everybody say 70 palms. 70 palms. And there they camped near the water. This idea that the 12 is always supposed to be feeding the 70. The chosen of God are supposed to feed the nations of the world. This theme goes on and on and on. Uh, Tara, would you also put up Luke chapter 10? If this is old hat to you, then you just need to change your heart. These are not even scriptures that I need to look up anymore. I, I know the chain in my brain. I, I, know, I know where I want to go. If this is not something that becomes precious to you, then you're missing out and maybe the world isn't important to you as what you say it is. Maybe his plan to get this entire cosmos in the right order, the right shalom from top to bottom, from his headship down to the very smallest thing, that it's in the right order. Maybe, it's, maybe we've learned that it's the proper thing to say, yes, yes, we're for the world. Yes, Lord, send us. When was the last time it just burned within you? Not just those who are about to move to Turkey. Not just those who are about to move to Peru. What about you? What about me? I am overjoyed that the Lord has stationed me. He has given me a position here in this church. I will fight with anyone. I will fight to the death to make sure that I stay right here in God's will. Amen. And you know what I have in me? You know what Sukkot reminds me of? I have to have just as burning of a passion to take this to the world. 
I have to have equally that much passion of what I do, knowing that God has assigned me here, knowing that this is my place on the entire globe, that this little church, that this house that I'm living in, that this space is the one that He has assigned to me. You know what else I have to have? A burning passion for the nations. It's the both ends that we always come back to, right? Luke chapter 10, verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72... Somebody read your footnote. What does the footnote say? 70. 70. Which one am I going to pick this should say? 70. Your footnote in your Bible means that that is an equally valid translation. They had to pick one. They couldn't put both in there because it would be confusing. So they picked one. But the other is a valid translation. Yeah, we're going to go with the other valid translation. Why? Because it fits with the bigger picture. If they would have known what we knew they would have probably translated the Bible differently right there. We don't, we don't lament the scholars that did the Bible. We just go, Lord, the scholars that you had working on this who spent their lives doing this kind of stuff, we have a treasure from heaven that they didn't even get. Wow! That doesn't make us less responsible, my friends. It makes us more responsible. It makes us more responsible to carry His joy everywhere we go. Let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 31. Deuteronomy chapter 31. I'm going to share something with you, a few things that I just learned and I just wanted to share. 31. Let's read in verse 9. Deuteronomy 31, 9. So Moses is telling Israel, he's speaking with Joshua right at the beginning of Deuteronomy 31. He's, he's transitioning power over from Moses to Joshua. Several times before this, in verse 6, I believe it is, in verse 8, he says, yeah, he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Joshua, be strong. Be courageous. He's encouraging him before all the people. Verse 9, So Moses wrote down this law and gave it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, and to all the elders of Israel. By the way, how many was the ruling council of elders? How many people? Oh, 70. Okay, I was just checking. Then Moses commanded them, at the end of every seven years, in the year of canceling debts. Y'all remember that in the Word? Every seven years you got your debts canceled. You were even supposed to adjust prices based on how long you were, how, how much time you had left until the year of canceling debt. During the Feast of Tabernacles. How joyous would it be if you knew that during the Feast of Tabernacles... Not only do you get to see incredible festivals, not only are you reminded of God's provision in your life, but He's also going to cancel your debts while He's at it. Uh, that brings some of us a whole lot of joy, right? Amen. Come on now, you know that would. Wait, all the debts? Yeah. Oh yeah, that's the, man, it brings a smile. To, some of y'all are like, yeah. It hadn't even happened to you, and you just started smiling. Like, hey man, no more mortgage. Glory! Every seven years at the time of canceling debts during the Feast of Tabernacles. Shut it down. That would encourage me a lot. How joyful would you be if all your debts were canceled? I mean, <laughs> somebody's about to, we're about to get up the, the glory up in this place. Ha haven't your debts been canceled? Oh, okay. 
do we walk around with the same type of joy that we were just expressing? That we could not keep our mouths closed with the thought of someone canceling our debts. What about the one who's just canceled all of our debts? Yom Kippur, you are right. You are atoned for. We are walking free in his presence. How much joy should we have, folks? Wow. Turn to Zechariah chapter 14. Got to. Got to get it in here. It's too good not to. Zechariah chapter 14. Are you all with me tonight? Man, I just want, I want to encourage you with the word tonight. I want to bless you with what's been blessing me over these last few days. Goodness gracious. Zechariah chapter 14. Let's start in verse 16. Then the survivors from all the nations that have attacked Jerusalem will go up year after year to worship the king. Folks, this is even during the millennial reign. This is, this is a picture of the millennial... During the millennial reign, the scripture is actually giving us an insight into what it's going to look like. Survivors from all the nations. Everybody say all the nations. All the nations. Huh. It's always about the world. That have attacked Jerusalem will go up year after year to worship the King, the Lord Almighty, and to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. You think this is an important idea? You think this is an important feast? It's the Lord's feast. It's a feast that we will have unto the Lord, but it's a feast of the Lord. It goes even on into the millennial reign. If any of the peoples of the earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord Almighty, they will have no rain. What happens to provision? Let's, 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 take a, 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 let's, let's stretch this out from the direct text here and, and apply this to our lives. What happens to the provision in our life when we aren't thankful for what the Lord has done? What has the Lord done for you? God, He's given... Forget the fact that he, you won't exist. You don't even have your next breath unless he gives it to you. Yeah, I don't know how we can forget about that, but we do. I don't think about that on a daily basis, but I should. The fact that you're here, the fact that you're planted in a church that actually cares about you, the fact that you have what you have, you can do what you can do, you have the people around you that you have around you, how can we not be joyful when we consider his provision in our life? If we do not celebrate rightly this feast, this festival of tabernacles, I don't want to put myself in a position because of my lack of gratitude, my lack of joy, that I anger my God. Huh. Perhaps He is pointing us towards our joy being complete because when your joy is complete, you're not even thinking about yourself anymore. I'm not doing this to fuss at you. I'm saying we all think about ourselves too much. Our, all of our prayers are very myopic, very self-centered. I need this, Lord. I'm worried about this, Lord. I'm concerned about this. Lord, would you please help me? Praise God. How about we go, oh my goodness, Lord, you're so good. God, Lord, I don't focus on it enough. Can we just take a praise break? I mean, you know, in your middle of your day, will you just take a praise break and go, Lord... Especially when you're wanting to fuss and to fight and to, to strain and to struggle. Whew. Lord, you've given me an incredible easier. Wow. Lord, you've put me in the best place that I've ever been. Lord, I love my life. The, my boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places, Lord. My goodness. Has he assigned you some pleasant places or not? 
or do you wait till the circumstances make you feel like they are? Yeah. In your most difficult of days, in your most difficult of months and years, how can we not be overflowing with joy before our Lord? How can we not be focused on His plan, not on our needs? My goodness. Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7. I just did this one just for the fun of it. Because I like it. Verse 9, Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. It says this, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. Uh, no one could count. Yeah, just, I don't know, that's a lot of people. From every nation, every tribe, every people, and every language. Every nation, tribe, people, and language. You're covering it all, aren't you? Standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes, thank God for righteous actions, and were holding palm branches in their hands. It, it just reminded me of the, of the very things that we were talking about earlier, holding the palm branches. I'm reminded of, of Passover when they're coming in and they have, they're waving the palm branches before the Lord. I'm reminded of Sukkot as they're waving the palm branches and other things before the Lord. It just reminds me that the Lord has set this rehearsal up so they practice it over and over and over and over again and they cried out in a loud voice sometimes our joy requires that we cry out for some of us the reason we don't ever express we don't ever feel his exceeding joy is we're not willing to cry out to him just we can get to the point where we can cry out for joy we know what it's like to cry out in pain don't you you know what it's like to cry out in sorrow? <laughs> I want to have days where we're crying out in joy because of His goodness to us. Crying out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb. As we go through these things, I want you to turn to John chapter 7 and I just want to talk through a few, a few things here as we get... As we turn the corner here for this, this last section that we have. I don't have time to, to talk to you about 2 Corinthians chapter 5. That the temple, King Solomon himself dedicated the temple around the time of Sukkot. They dedicated the altar for seven days and then turned around and had the feast of Sukkot right after it. The, the glory of God coming down. I don't have time to talk to you about Nehemiah chapter 8. That was in the month of Tishri. The verse that we read from the other night, Nehemiah 8.10, let me read it to you. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice fruit and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. We like that one, right? That was on Rosh Hashanah. That day, in verse 2 of chapter 8 of Nehemiah, you can see that it was on the first day of Tishri. Then on the second day of Tishri, they began reading the law and they saw what was going on. In verse 16, it says this, So the people went out and brought back branches and built themselves booths on their own roofs, in their courtyards, in the courts of the house of God and in the square by the water gate. 
The whole company that had returned from exile built booths and lived in them. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this. And their joy was very great. And Nehemiah, we've read it from the law, we've seen it in the prophets, we're looking at it in the writings. In Haggai chapter 2, on the 21st day of the seventh month, which would have been what? The last and greatest day of the feast is where we see the Lord speaking to them. In John chapter 7, are you there? Let's start in verse 1. We're going to end our time tonight. We're going to focus in on this passage. We're going to get Peyton and Pastor Matt up here in just a few minutes, and we're going to worship so that we can not just talk about joy and you not just sit there and nod at me with joy. We're going to get a chance to experience the joy of the Lord. In John chapter 7, verse 1, it says this, After this, Jesus went around in Galilee, purposely staying away from Judea because the Jews were waiting to take his life. It's an interesting verse, isn't it? You know the Lord wasn't afraid. He was also smart enough not to go. (laughs) I'm purposely staying away from there. But when the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, You ought to leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples may see the miracles you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. That is some interesting wisdom, isn't it? That's the wisdom of man. Look, I mean, if you're going to do this, I mean, you have to go do this in public, right? Yeah, if that was his goal. If his goal was to become a public figure, then yes, he should go. And they gave him natural wisdom. Let's be careful the kind of wisdom we give to each other. Let's make sure that it's from the heavens. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. They're proud of him. They're brothers. Hey, great, go do this. But you can see, even, even his own brothers did not believe in him. They're trying to push him forward as a public figure while not personally believing in him spiritually. Verse 6, Therefore Jesus told them, The right time for me has not yet come. For you, any time is right. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that what it does is evil. You go to the feast. I'm not not yet going up to this feast because for me the right time has not yet come. Having said this, he stayed in Galilee. However, after his brothers had left for the feast, he went also. Doesn't this sound like earlier in John? When they're saying, hey, Jesus, we're out of wine. We need you to come fix this. His mother said this. What do you say? Yeah, the right time has not yet come for me. And then what does he do? Turns around and turns water into wine. Yeah, he's not going to... We don't get to tell God what he's going to do. Even if we think it's the right time, the exact second that he determines to do something is when he'll do it. He's not being duplicitous in, in in these times. He's not being tricky. He's saying, yeah, the exact moment for me to leave hasn't yet come. So they take off, and he's like, yep, now it's time. (laughs) Amen. Let's look at verse 14. Not until halfway through the feast. Everybody say halfway. Halfway. Through the feast did Jesus go to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having studied? (laughs) Later on in the chapter, we're not going to get to it because it's after the passage that I I really want to focus on. But later on in the chapter, the Jewish leaders were saying, yeah, 
Do you see any of us as leaders that have believed in Jesus? Well, the answer was supposed to be no. They presented a question that they presumed the answer was no, but even then Nicodemus was in their midst. And if not yet by this point, surely by John 19, Nicodemus is clearly in the camp of the righteous. But the idea is they're saying, yeah, you've been tricked. Basically called, the, the Pharisees of their day basically called those, the people a basket full of deplorables. That's basically what they were being called, and that's what they're doing here. How can Jesus teach like this? I mean, he hasn't even studied like we have. Yeah, um, he's the very word of God itself. I, I, think, I think he qualifies, right? Jesus answered, my teaching is not my own. It comes from him who sent me. If anyone chooses to do God's will, he will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. He who speaks on his own does so to gain honor for himself. Now, you can keep going through this story. It's pretty, it's pretty amazing. In verse 19, he's saying, yeah, why are you guys trying to kill me? He's speaking plainly to them. Look at verse 20. You are demon-possessed, the crowd answered. Who is trying to kill you? Look at 25. At that point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, isn't this the man they're trying to kill? I mean, if you go through there, in, in one side of the mouth, the crowd is saying, you're crazy, no one wants to kill you. And then they're turning around talking to their buddy, they're like, isn't that the dude that they want to kill? <laughs> they're just going back and forth and back and forth. Jesus continues to teach in the synagogue. Let's go to verse 33. Jesus said, I am with you only for a short time, and then I go to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. Everybody, just I want you to look up on the screen and I want you to read this with me. I want you to see it with me for just a second. You will look for me, but you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. Does he say where I'm going, you can't come with me? No. He says, where I am, you cannot come. Just, just catch this for a second. You, you think Jesus just misspoke something? You will look for me, but you will not find me where I am. Where was he? Was he standing in front of him? Yes. Where else was he? He was seated with the Father in heavenly places. Where I am right now, I know you're seeing this right here, but where I am... Yeah, you're not going to be able to come there. Verse 35, the Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we cannot find him? He didn't say he was going anywhere in this verse. He said, where I am. Where's he going to go that we can't find him? Will he go where our people live scattered among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? You ever done that? The Lord ever said something to you and you just start peeling off on a whole different... Well, I thought he said this. Yeah, you might want to just listen to what he actually said to you. I've done it more times than I can count, my friends. I add words in there. I add thoughts in there. And I have to go back, wait, what exactly did he say? What exactly did he say? He said, where I am, you cannot come. Huh. What did he mean when he said, you will look for me, but you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. They heard it correctly. They recalled it correctly. They just did not have any understanding of what he was actually saying to them. Surprise, surprise. 
Verse 37, on the last and greatest day of the feast. This is my favorite example of Sukkot in the whole Bible. Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. This is a very familiar passage. Can you not just tune me out for a second because it's familiar? Right? I mean, we all kind of do that, right? Oh, I know. Oh, amen. I like this passage too, Pastor. Just don't tune me out for a second because I, I think it's really simple. We all understand it. Many of you could probably preach incredible messages just stopping right here and turning the mic over to you. I fully think that. But let's just stay together for just a minute. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. David writes in his commentary on this. The Mishnah said that he who had never seen this ceremony, the Simchat Bait HaShol Eva, the feast of water drawing, the ceremony of drawing water at the festival of Sukkot, the Mishnah said that he who had never seen this ceremony, which was accompanied by dancing, singing, and music, had never seen true joy. Yet this was also considered a ceremony in which the participants, as it were, drew inspiration from the Holy Spirit itself. I, I want you to, uh, to, to read something else here. Uh, I want to read something else to you. How was the water libation performed? This is from the Mishnah. A golden flagon holding three log of water was filled from the springs of Shiloh. Shalom. As they were doing this, they had golden water vessels. They got water from a source of peace and were pouring out water into earthen vessels. Giant golden vessels. Jesus stands up. The record scratches. Everyone stops and looks at him. Anyone who is thirsty. Anyone who is thirsty. Let him come to me and drink. As they're pouring out the water, as he's standing there, he's saying, yeah, you know what you guys have been praying for? You know when you start singing about my word? You know when you start saying in Isaiah 12 about coming to the spring, to the wells of salvation. You know what you're singing right there as we're doing the festival, pouring water from gold vessels? You know what it is? It's me, guys. It's me. The answer's right here. If you're thirsty, come to me and drink. If you want to find the wells and the springs of salvation, come to me and drink. If you want to be poured out rightly, if you want to have the heavens, the divinity of heavens poured into your life, Come to me and drink. My God, what is going on here? They're singing the great Hallel. They're singing, they're quoting Isaiah 12 as they're pouring these things out and Jesus just stands up. Hey, everybody listen up. It's me. Come on, let's not ever forget that the answer to your problems is just more Jesus. I mean, I know that's kind of simplistic for a Bible-rich church like this. You need to go back to the wells of salvation. Amen. If we stop it, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink, that's one thing. Praise God, then you get satisfied. 
Praise God. We could stop at Passover, I guess. Maybe we can get all the way to the Day of Atonement. But He doesn't just stop there. Whoever believes in Me, as the Scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within Him. It is one thing for us to drink of the heavens and be replenished in our own soul. Praise God for that opportunity. But that is not the goal. That is not where He stops. And it should never be where we stop. How many times are you just trying to limp your way into church? Get here just so you can get a drink from the heavens. And not turn and say, I need the streams of living water to be flowing from within me. I need this thing to be so deep that it is a well of salvation for anyone who might find it. That it is a spring, something that is alive, that is flowing, that is bursting forth from my inner man. How are you doing having streams of living water coming from you? What happens? You needed the source. You got in touch with the source. And now you're connected to the source and can source other people so that they may find the same thing. This is incredible. Would you hold your place here? We are almost done. Turn to Psalm 118 just for a brief, brief moment. Uh, Pastor, you guys can can come on up because I'm going to... We are just shy of an hour of preaching. Psalm 118. The great Hallel is what they're singing in the background. The festival that's going on. The water that's being poured out. Psalm 118 verse 1. Are you there? Give thanks to the Lord for He is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say, His love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, His love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, His love endures forever. So who are we talking to? Israel. You know why? Because it started with them. Let the house of Aaron, let those who want to work for the Lord also say this. You're not exempted. But aren't they in the house of Israel? Yes, they are. But they must say it as well. And then let all who fear the Lord. It's almost like the Lord has this plan To save a group of people, oh, say, you know, founded on 12, that will source the 70 in the nations. Look at verse 8. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Look at verse 15. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents, the booths, the tabernacles of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. This is a song, lest we forget that psalm means song. They are singing this and dancing about as the water's being poured out, as they're being reminded of Isaiah 12. This is layer upon layer upon layer. And what are they singing about His great joy? Verse 19, open for me the gates of righteousness. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. How how does anyone who is righteous, how do they enter? Through the gates of righteousness. This is how we enter into God's presence. Clean hands and a pure heart, not lifting our soul to another. Verse 21, I will give you thanks for you answered me. You have become 
my salvation. Do you hear how these themes are tied together all the way across? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. Everybody say marvelous. Marvelous. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. It's getting us to a fevered pitch of joy. Oh Lord, save us. Oh Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord is God and he has made his light shine upon us. With boughs in his hand, join in the festal procession. What do you think they're talking about? It's echoing what's going on at this festival of Sukkot. With boughs in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God and I will give you thanks. You are my God and I will exalt you. Maybe this should be the theme of our life. When we focus on him, we can be thankful. You are my God, I will give you thanks. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. Man, would you stand to your feet tonight with me?